Welcome, everyone. Thank you very much for joining us. I'm Pierre Daly, Managing Editor of AdvisorAnalyst.com. And joining me today are Lisa Langley, CEO of Emerge Arc ETFs uh, in Canada, and Sam Corris, analyst at Arc Invest. Today, we're going to be talking about the simultaneous launch of two new ETFs, ARCX and EAXP. This is the Insight is Capital podcast. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the individual podcasters and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of advisoranalyst.com. This podcast is meant to be for informational purposes only. Nothing discussed in this podcast is intended to be considered as advice. Sam, Lisa, welcome to the show. Congratulations on the launch of your new space exploration ETFs. Thank you, Pierre. And thanks for in inviting us on to, to talk and, and dive into it. Thank you, Pierre. We're happy to be here. And it was a great opportunity. It was wonderful uh, to have ARC uh, give us the opportunity to launch at the same time. You know, it was very exciting. I, we didn't really know how it was all going to work together. And we hoped for a good outcome. And actually, I think both uh, launches were very successful. I, I'm intrigued. I mean, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's a very exciting development. I mean, you're not only enabling investors to participate in the whole uh, space exploration sector, um, but looking at the portfolio, it, it's it's uh, interesting because you're also shedding light on on the sort of myriad opportunities that exist in the space. There's been obviously a lot of talk about SpaceX, you know, Elon Musk watching these new rockets uh, take off, deliver payload to the International Space Station, and then and then you know the actual rockets land back in in the place where they took off. I think it has ignited the interest of investors at large. And, and so to see uh, how the portfolio is segmented is also very interesting because, because it actually shows that, that behind the scenes, there's been a whole lot more going on in the space exploration space. I think, you know, to your point, yeah, the first, the first launch where they were trying to land the rocket, I remember everyone gathering in the office, we're all, you know, watching it. And now it's just become uh, very commonplace which is in itself remarkable when you take something so, so incredible and then you make it commonplace. And I think I remember just three, three four years ago, you, you talked to other aerospace companies. Uh, this was before you know, SpaceX demonstrated the capability and you asked them about the economics or what they thought about uh, SpaceX trying to do reusable. And almost everyone said, you know, this is a crazy idea. It's not going to work. And now, you know, three, four years later, everyone's developing their own rocket reusability plans. And it's clear that, you know, this this can be a path forward and a way to lower launch costs by another order of magnitude and potentially two orders of magnitude uh, if you can really get the reusability down and, you know, refurbish those rockets quickly. Remarkable. But so there's a lot more going on in the space, right? There are areas of space exploration that are really not not yet viewed that way, uh, just because they're ancillary or they're they're tied to the uh, to the to the whole uh, space exploration. But maybe you can talk about some of those other areas uh, beyond uh, you know the rockets. Sure, uh, I'll touch on you know one of those key enablers and my partner analyst Tasha Kini. Uh, this is one of her core areas of focus. So, so she's definitely the, the expert expert on this, but that, that's 3D printing. Uh, right. And 3D printing, 
really transforms a lot of elements for both aerospace and space. And so 3D printing, you know, we, we size it to be a roughly $500 billion market for end-use parts. So those are parts that you're making, and then they're going into the end product. Uh, and, you know, aerospace is the killer application for 3D printing because it's relatively low volume, highly complex, and weight matters so much. And so, you know, the ability to make these parts in novel ways, uh, you know, I, I, it's, it's hard to imagine here. Uh, maybe I'll pull up a picture or something, but, you know, companies are starting to use artificial intelligence to design these components. Right. And so, you know, a human would never come up with the shape of some of these structural components, uh, but a machine, you give it the inputs, you say, you know, it needs to be able to hold this amount of weight, you know, this much, you know, torsion, tension, et cetera. Uh, and it's, it shows, you know, this is the best way to do it. And so you're seeing, you know, one example we have in our big ideas deck is this uh, CubeSat satellite bus. So pretty much the body of a small satellite. And they took 125 parts and 3D printing, it's now one part. Uh, and so it's, <laughs> it's lighter. Yeah. Uh, it's actually stiffer. And it has fewer uh, points where it could like have a critical failure. So I, it, it's it's really just taking off, uh, and the applications are um, incredible already. Uh, and you know we, we talk to all these different space companies, and and almost all of them are utilizing additive manufacturing in some capacity. I was sort of fanatical about you know about space travel. You know when when you know you look at. At, you know what was accomplished in the '60s and '70s, and and the space shuttle in the '80s, and in when you look back at those, at you know at the lunar landing modules, for example, I mean, you know they were they were these metal things with tin foil and you know scotch tape. It looked like you know, they, they had they had you know they had things stuck to the outside. They were very sort of tin pot, you know, sort of hashed together because because they needed to be a certain weight and there was limitations on what they could do and they, of course the engineering capabilities didn't exist you didn't have 3d printing you couldn't just design a part and then and then spit it out of a out of a printer in the materials in the exact materials you needed to do that with and and now you can and and so that's an interesting that's a really interesting uh, perspective on 3d printing that that probably most people have never even considered there's been so much talk about 3D printing in negative ways, and and uh, so to know that that you know that it's enabling uh, uh, you know a degree of engineering that was impossible to maybe just five or ten years ago uh, is is remarkable. So what else is going? What else? What else is besides 3D printing? What else is going on? There's agricultural uses. There's satellite. There's you know we got the Starlink story is sort of unfolding with, uh, you know, space-based internet uh, for, for the unreachable parts of the world. Are those some of the areas that are, that are sort of encompassed in, in your strategy? Uh, they definitely are. And it's funny because, you know, we're, we're doing the modeling on these and then, you know, we, we released the portfolio and there's, there's a lot of memes going around uh, questioning, you know, why is John Deere, why is Netflix uh, in this portfolio? But I think you know what what you're saying is exactly spot on um so precision agriculture is something that's been in the works uh for a while and really utilizing satellite imagery or using drones to 
really map out your fields, uh, whether it's for autonomous tractors or to understand, you know, the level of sunlight and amount of water that you need to give to different parts of the field, uh, timing for, uh, you know, harvesting. All of these things can, can play a big impact and adjust those margins. Uh, and then, you know, what you were just talking about, the satellite internet connectivity is really transformational. There was just a video today uh, interviewing, uh, it's a, I believe it's a tribe in Washington state. That was one of the first uh, areas to receive the Starlink beta. Yep. And I mean, obviously the last year made it very clear, but internet connectivity is a necessity. Uh, if, if you're gonna try and work or do, do anything really, even for education, right? Internet connectivity's become a core backbone here. And if you have, you know, one megabit per second up or download, you know, you're not, you're not doing any video call. It's taking you a huge amount of time to really do anything. Yeah. Uh, so in the U.S., it's estimated that, you know, roughly 40 million people don't have access to broadband internet. And that's, that's a That's crazy. remarkable. That's a startling... Yeah. I mean, so I guess that means they can't watch Netflix. <laughs> exactly. It, I mean, it's, it's you know, yeah. it, it sounds ridiculous. And, you know, we, yeah. we like that people kind of write it off and they're like, oh, that's ridiculous. You know, why are you even yeah. thinking about that? You know, we've had people laugh at us in the past for our for our research and projections. I think that has worked out well for us. Yeah. Uh, we, we like to be a step ahead and do the research that other people aren't doing. And so, you know, hopefully they laugh and then they look and then they learn and, you know, then they see see the opportunity. But, you know, that's exactly right. 40 million people is a huge percent of the population in the U.S. It is. And then you look internationally, and that number is close to 3 billion. Uh, obviously, you know, there's, there's a huge difference between the price point that you can charge in the U.S. versus internationally. Uh, but we think that, you know, with all of the technologies we look at, they tend to be on this cost decline curve. Uh, and so when we're thinking about this satellite internet connectivity, it makes sense to us that this would start in the U.S., in uh, Canada, uh, right? These these yeah. more developed uh, areas where, you know, even if you're in a rural area, you could afford a higher price point. And then that kind of helps you come down this cost curve and then access more and more of the addressable market internationally. I think we take so much of that for granted because, you know, for, especially if you live in an urban area or, you know, an urban setting, it's just, you know, you, you, you have access to the Internet. But when you get out into the more rural areas, um, you know, but now now there's so much there's so much that 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 leads to. Right. I mean, it enables so much more in terms of like just when, when you give when you give, uh, you, you know, areas of the world that have had no Internet they suddenly have internet, um, just like, you know, the way mobile phones enabled uh, so much, you know, commerce and, and entrepreneurism in places like India and, and China uh, in, in the earlier days. Uh, now, enabling internet in parts of the world, in, in, in some of the poorer parts of the world, like, let's say, Africa or, or uh, you know, the rural, rural parts of the world, um, that opens up an entire other half of the world into into e-commerce into education absolutely I, I mean i think it's hard to understate how transformative it can be uh at the same time it's it's also hard to understate the 
difficulty in achieving it, right? So, you know, yeah. we're, we're not here to say it's going to be easy and, you know, it's a straightforward path to do. Uh, it's, it seems as though the technology is well on its way from the cost declines that we're looking at. We've got the rocket launch cost declines that are in a great spot right now and making it economic. We've got those satellite cost declines. Uh, and then this, the third cost decline that still really needs to come into that sweet spot is the antenna. So that's like the the satellite dish that the end user would point up at the sky. Uh, and that's that one's still working its way down the cost decline curve. Um, so I don't want to say, you know, this is, this is a guarantee, uh, but I think we're on our way there. And as you said, it can really transform the global economy uh, in a very profound way. So Sam, how do you how do you classify? Can you just classify what the the sort of the four the main sub uh, sub segments that you're focused on? Um, I know there's 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 orbital, suborbital. Yep. So we've got the orbital, suborbital. Uh, then we've got the key enablers and the aerospace beneficiaries. Right. And and, and, and you know we, we part part of the reason for for doing it like this is, you know. A lot of times people think just satellites, just rockets, uh, but really it's all of these things are so complex and they're taking, you know, so many different technologies and bundling them together to make these services work. Um, and so, you know, when we're investing in this theme, we want to be able to capture where we think value will accrue. Um, and so I think, you know, framing it like this gives a, gives a full picture of the type of environment that you know, we're moving into. Yeah, I, I, that's the part. I think people don't, I think people may not realize yet just just how uh, broad the opportunity is. It's not, it's not just, you know, oh, we're, we're going to go to Mars or, or another, another trip to the moon, or we're going to put people in space uh, for, for, you know, a, a tour around the planet. You know, I, I think your, your holdings sort of reflect the, uh, the vastness of the opportunity. Correct. And I think, you know, one of one of the difficulties in uh, explaining it to people that, you know, hopefully hopefully podcasts like this help. But, you know, already uh, the satellite and, you know, space infrastructure is like a key backbone to so many systems that operate on Earth. You know, I think we take for granted GPS and the role of GPS in, you know, transactions and fintech and all of this. Uh, but really, you know, it's kind of out of sight, out of mind, uh, but it plays a huge impact in our lives already. And, you know, we think this is only going to increase in the future. We walk around with these computers in our pockets and we don't realize, you know, how much of how much of the technology that's being used in 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 our devices is is actually already coming from space. Uh, such as GPS, for example, which well, I mean, we kind of maybe we do know that, but but it's still fascinating all the same. But to be able to uh, sort of hone in on the the investment opportunities in that area and, and their impact in the future is um, is actually is, it's extremely exciting. It is, and you know, personally, as well, you know, some of the things that I'm I'm excited about, both as a consumer and an investor, uh, are air taxis as well, and you know, these electric vertical takeoff landing type of vehicles. Um, you know, we, we've done a bunch of research on this and, you know, the batteries technology is coming into place where 
it's making it possible. You've got autonomous technology that's on its way, and you have regulators who are coming around and really supporting these efforts. And so, you know, the ability to go from downtown Manhattan to JFK, you know, it's a maybe, I think it's, you know, 12 miles as the crow flies, and it'll take you, you know, hour and a half in a car, maybe two hours. Depends on your luck on that day. Uh, And, you know, it's not not cheap either if you're going to take a taxi or an Uber. And, you know, in the future, we could have these air taxis that could cost roughly $75. So pretty much the same cost as that Uber uh, and get you there in 15 minutes as opposed to the hour and a half, two hours. Uh, So, you know, incredible new markets opening up with this technology uh, that benefit consumers and improve quality of life as well. Yeah, it it has expanded very rapidly. Like I, I... You know, anybody like just to go back one, just to go back one step in our conversation, you know, anybody who saw the movie uh, Interstellar, uh, you know, would have seen like it's it's life imitating art, isn't it? I mean, we 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 have we have all these new technologies that are happening and and a lot of them have already been previewed in movies. Uh, You know, the, the the if you look at the the look and feel of some of these air taxis, they look like. They look a lot. They look very similar to, to the vehicles in Blade Runner, for example. I mean, so you know, we we've seen these things. They were they were fantastic ideas, and and you know, they've been featured in in movies, uh, and it, and it you know, it's it's remarkable to see these things come to life and actually become you know something commercial and useful. Uh, something viable, I mean, I, I actually. So it it is incredible, and I guess more more philosophical than anything else. It is amazing just the power that uh, sci-fi writers, creators, you know, the power that they have. Because really, you know, you you can imagine a future and inspire you know young people to pursue that vision, and you know, I think I think we're seeing that take place, and it is it is amazing that you can imagine a future and build towards it. And I think, you know, in, in a time of accelerated change, we're seeing that future come to us far faster than, than uh, ever before in the past, I think. Yeah, I think it was actually, you know, I remember when they announced that they were closing down the space shuttle program, for example, that was really disappointing. And so, so to see it revived this, this way is very exciting. I think to also be, you know, like looking at the, at, at your view, and you guys are doing such a terrific job of educating the public and investors on on this this uh, exciting new, you know, area, and um, it's also going to it's also going to raise awareness for future generations, right? I mean, in terms of of, of reopening that opportunity, reopening reopening that view on 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 what's possible. Um, that's 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 what's so awe inspiring about about it. And, and I guess here you could also, you know, draw a comparison between between uh, Musk with electric vehicles and with uh, rockets and aerospace as well. You know, he, he kind of served as the catalyst to get the auto industry saying, oh, you know, we need to really accelerate our plans on electric vehicles. Uh, and I think he did something similarly in the aerospace and rocket industry as well. And, you know, you look at the first uh, Falcon 9, the price point. 
the price point on the first Falcon 9 was not revolutionary. It just looked revolutionary because before that, you know, you had decades of uh, kind of duopoly in the space industry and yeah. ballooning costs with, you know, cost and cost plus programs that, you know, as those as those programs go longer and longer, the costs just tend to escalate. And, you know, he came out with a rocket that was pretty much the exact same price as when, you know, those original programs started their rockets. So he said, you know, this is a bloated industry. Like, we're just going to come in and, and try and do it better. Uh, and then now it's remarkable because you had decades of rising costs. And now we're seeing a transformation to lower and lower costs. Uh, so very exciting. And, you know, this is really what technology does to industries. It puts them on those cost decline curves and opens up that opportunity. It definitely Elon Musk hasn't just you know, reinvigorated the area. He has actually revolutionized it. He has shown, you know, he has shown engineers, he has shown the world that it's possible. And I think that's really, that's probably really a big part of why the, the, the Tesla brand is so big and, and why, you know, that's probably going to be true for Starlink and for SpaceX uh, as well. I'm excited to see what happens with this, Sam. And Lisa, congratulations. Well, congratulations to you both again. Thank you. Thank very you much. so much for having us on. Thank you, Sam. Pleasure. Looking forward to it. I hope we can. Uh, I hope we can continue the conversation uh, in 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 six months or a year. Definitely. I, I hope that in in six months there's going to be a lot of exciting things to talk about. Yeah, maybe we could dig deeper into it. Thank you, Pierre. Thank, Thank you, you so Pierre. much. The information, statements, comments, views, and opinions provided in this podcast are general in nature, may relate to securities held in the funds being discussed, and such information, statements, comments, views, and opinions, and the receipt of this podcast by any listener, are not intended to be and should not be construed as the provision of investment advice by Emerge Canada Incorporated to that listener or generally, and do not result in any listener being considered a client or customer of Emerge. The information, statements, comments, views, and opinions expressed in this podcast do not constitute and should not be construed as an offer to sell, or a solicitation of any offer to buy, any securities or to make or consider any investment or course of action. No such offer or solicitation may be made prior to the delivery of definitive offering documentation. All investments carry the risk of loss. It is the responsibility of investors to do their own due diligence before investing in any of the funds mentioned in this podcast. While all information referred to is believed to be accurate, Emerge makes no express warranty as to the completeness of accuracy, and assumes neither responsibility nor control over the content, security or accuracy of the resources which are mentioned herein. 